Thank you. Man. Bless you guys. Thank you. You're too kind. <laughs> oh, I wish they would welcome me like that. Going back to Pakistan and Kabul. It will happen. How many of you know God is God over the entire earth? How many of you know that the scripture in Psalms still stands, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it? You know, I mean, we, we, we have to remind ourselves that, that our God is the God of all creation. He's the Lord. He's the one who is supreme. And uh, he, he reigns on high. And if we, if we ever lose sight of that, we lose sight of the, um, the entirety, really, of who God is. And that all of this is his, and that all of it's, uh, uh, he's reclaiming back for himself and, and putting back under his lordship. And we're a part of that. We're a part of that restoration um, as we do that in our lives and as we exemplify that, you know, with others. But I hope that that takes, I hope that we can, you know, in the next few services, up that a bit in your life. That's my prayer for you is that, that to see that happen. And uh, it's because the enemy will try to come and steal that so fast out of us, steal that hope, that, that assurance. I mean, he'll try to do that quicker than a bunch of dead people can vote for Joe Biden. Did I just say that? Let's go. <laughs> I love this church. Just let me say, <laughs> I love this church. <laughs> It is, uh, it, is, it is not over, and God is going to be victorious in all of it. Amen? <laughs> Praise God. Um, let me share with you a couple of things. We've uh, got a resource table back here for you. Um, uh, my first book, Do What Jesus Did. The premise of the book is Jesus didn't come to show us what he could do as the son of God, uh, but he came to show us what we could do. Everything that he was living and exemplifying, he, you know, Philippians chapter 2, he left his superhero God powers in heaven, made an arrangement with the Father, came as a normal human being, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit that you and I have. So if you have Christ living in you and you have the Holy Spirit, you got all the ingredients living in you to do all the stuff Jesus did. What are we waiting for? Nothing. We're not waiting for anything. He's waiting for us to activate what he's given us, and we just got to activate it, put it out, and, and begin to work it. We also have a workbook that goes with that. This is like a 10-session course. You can do it in 10 days, although I think you'll have a hard time doing that. If you wanted to, you could do it in 10 weeks. You could do it over 10 months if you want, but uh, you can do it as a group. You can do it by yourself, but this is like going to school, and it goes with the book to train you to step out in healing, prophetic deliverance, ministry of manifest presence, all of things that I refer to as the power tools that, that the Holy Spirit uh, gave us at Pentecost to operate in, to bring people into the relationship with Jesus Christ. And so anyway, we have those back there. And then I did a teaching called Breaking Darkness, Releasing the Peace. Um, this is a uh, nine-part series that I did for TBN on uh, deliverance ministry. And it's talking about doing deliverance outside of the church, also some of it doing it inside of the church. And how many of you know that 
there's times we need to do deliverance inside of the church. You know, how many of you know that? That's a reality. I remember John Wimber got up. A lot of people don't know this, but Carol Wimber told me this story. John Wimber was teaching at Fuller Theological Seminary, and he got up and did this amazing teaching on why a believer can't have a demon. And then he says, now we're going to go to the ministry time. And a prominent, very well-known pastor in L.A. sitting on the front row began to manifest a demon right at that everybody knew you know right at that moment as soon as he finished the service and he goes well he goes that was an amazing teaching on why a believer can't have a demon but obviously I'm missing some things in this and John after that revamped his uh, theology and began to revamp that teaching quite a bit uh, and so anyway, it's uh, understanding how to break that. How do we see that, you know, happen? And so many times when demonic power, you know, in, it comes in for a believer just to, you know, expose it a little bit. It's typically through a foothold, you know, either it can be sin that we're covering up or, or some sort of foothold of unforgiveness or anything along those lines. And so anyway, this talks about how to break those, how to cover those up and keep that, you know, from happening in our lives. And then we have these USB drives that the silver ones have all the video teachings back there on one with the exception, Breaking Darkness is not on there yet, but then we have the black drives that have all the audio teachings um, that are back there at the table. And they don't, they, they don't, it's not an audio version of the videos or a video of the audios. They're completely separate teachings. And when you buy one of these, you're sending three of them to the Middle East, to underground churches there, too. And then we've got our Take a Toll shirt. Um, this, is, uh, this, is one, this, this is one of my favorite shirts because uh, this was a real tool that the, the Lord gave us to defeat the power of darkness that was taking over the city that I was pastoring in where I planted my church at. Um, and basically the, the taking a toll is, is don't let, don't just become the enemy's punching bag, but strike back. And how do we strike back? By healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, prayer and intercession, releasing worship. Man, these are ways, don't, don't just let the enemy come and, uh, come after you, uh, you know, like that, but really, really make the enemy pay for anything that he's doing. And it says, if he, if he hits you, we're going to go pray for people. We're going to lead people to Christ. We're going to pray for healing. Make the enemy regret he ever even messed with you. That's how we fight back. That's how we retaliate, you know, because the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. They're not natural. But they are strong to the pulling down of strongholds that we've been given by the Spirit. Amen? And so we need to activate those and use those in order to see that happen and to see that break. But anyway, we have all of those and 100% of the profit of all of our uh, table, all the stuff at our table goes to help our work in establishing uh, schools for underground church leaders throughout the Middle East. This is Jacob. He's traveling with me, third year BSSM student. So be nice to him. Those third year student guys work really hard. And so... Um, I want to talk to you something, um, I was, I, Yuri, I was sitting here going, I don't know where I want to go tonight, I don't know, I, you know, am I the only one that has those moments where I'm sitting there going, you know, and you just expect three days before that God has clearly given us a direction or something like that, that never works for me, the Lord seems to keep me on the hook till the very last minute, and then all of a sudden stuff will kick. Sometimes he'll give stuff in advance. That's, that was one of the things I loved about pastoring is that I could plan talks out, plan, and then they would just get rerouted and totally hijacked by the time I would go to preach them. 
And I learned that that was God keeping me in the place of going, listen to me, you know, stay tuned to my voice. But as he was saying, he's hit a couple of things that I was like, that's it. I think that's where the Lord's, uh, you know, wanting to speak and wanting to talk to us. How many of you know we are in the war of our lives right now? Our nation is, is, in, is in, we're in a crucial, sad shape. We're in a difficult place. The families in the United States are under attack. Marriages are under attack like never before. I mean, the enemy is fighting harder, and I mean hitting low. I have, I have never seen or experienced such, for, from my viewpoint and where I've been, such attack. And in this, I'm going to share, I'm going to share with you a couple of reports of what we're doing. But man, I tell you what, I, 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 I sit there and I, I go to, uh, you know, to Pakistan or Uzbekistan or one of these places to try to negotiate bringing over more Afghans there and, I, I think I'm in the thick of the battle, and I come back, and I'm like, dear God, it is as dark here, you know, but in a more, in a more subtle, scary way. You know, when the enemy's blatant, it's a little bit easier, but these are times and seasons where there is a, there is a subtlety that the enemy is using, and there's a hiddenness that he's using, and man, the only way to deal with that is to, is to expose it with the light, and to expose it with the you know, with the truth of who Christ is. And so in, in, I want to kind of delve into a little bit about, about that. And this, let me just tell you, tonight and tomorrow night are going to build off each other, I think. And I want, you to, um, I want you to open your hearts and minds to really hear some things, but understand some things by the Spirit, you know, of, of what the Lord, is, the Lord is up to some things right now in our day and our time. And whenever Satan is fighting this hard, it's because awakening is imminent. And I know you hear, you know, you hear us on like Flashpoint and these other programs and God TV say stuff like that all the time. I'm telling you, it is true. It is true. And the devil falls into, he falls into the, the playbook uh, of God, you know, with all, every, every obstacle, with every warfare that he's throwing at, if we keep our eyes focused and we keep our eyes focused on the kingdom of God and his righteousness, keep our eyes focused on that and focus on what God is doing versus what, even, even with what our own struggles are, you know, uh, because what I notice is that when I'm having struggles or having difficulties, they'll have a tendency to yield to the will of God if I keep my eyes focused on the will of God. Does that make sense? You know, man, when I'm dieting, I think too much about food. Anybody? One, two, three, four people are the only ones who struggle with that. The rest of you are free. <laughs> but you know what? You know, when, when we're dieting, I, I mean, you're focused. You're, I think about food too much. You know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, when I'm, it's like, it's like if you try not to sin, what are you thinking about? Sin. Get, get our eyes on what's right, get our eyes on what's pure, what's holy, and then all of a sudden the other stuff just starts dying off, you know, and we keep our eyes focused on that, and it's, it starts falling to the side and just starts dying off. Maybe I'm just preaching to me and letting you listen right now, but if that's the case, so be it. I hope you get something out of what I'm sharing with myself, because that's, 
it's, it's, it's something that's true where we're all at. We had, let me, let me, let me say this before I, I, I dive into what I want to share with you. First of all, I'm sorry, this gentleman right here in a black shirt, three rows in. Yeah, no, no, you just turned and looked at the kid on the aisle. Would you stand up? What's your name? Peter? Peter, let me tell you something. The fingerprints of God are all over you. God's hand is on you. And, and when that happens, a lot of times it feels like a lot of pressure at times. And it could feel like pushback, it feels like opposition, it could feel like those types of things. But that is God shaping and forming things into propel and to move forward. And I heard the Lord say, don't be distracted by the things that the enemy's trying to throw across your path or anything like that. God's fingerprints are all over you. And God is shaping and he's doing some things. There's been some, uh, there's been some things that, that have come up recently that have been, tr- you know, trying to pull at you and things like that. And I just hear the Lord say, shake it off. It's, uh, it's like the viper that latched on to uh, Paul when he was on the island and he just shook it off. Man, Paul didn't even pray against venom. <laughs> Do you notice that? He doesn't even acknowledge the snake. He doesn't like, you know, I curse you, you foul sir. It doesn't do any, he just shakes it off. And somehow there's something powerful in that. And I, I remember I got one time stung by a scorpion. And it was like one of the serious ones. And I remember shaking my hand and just saying, no, you have no right here. And I was only, I was only like 19 years old. This wasn't like a big, deep, spiritual, you know, maturity time of my life. But all this, I, I had no swelling, there was no discoloration, there was no point, which had happened to me before in that, but in shaking that off. But I saw you having a place and a wherewithal to just shake off and say, no, I'm staying focused here. And the Lord's just, I just see a release coming to you and some things that God's going to release. There's some healing and some relationships and things like that that God's bringing. But I just heard the Lord just say that his, that his hand is on you and his fingerprints are on you. Does this make sense to you? If it doesn't, it's okay. You don't, don't be nice. You can say, no, I don't really, it doesn't really make sense. It's fine. Because I, I can tell you, this is what I'm seeing and this is what uh, is, is happening for you. And I just saw some doors opening up for you too. And it's just it's a time of favor where, you, where, it's, where it's been, again, again sort of pushback now is, is a season of favor that's coming on you. You said Peter? It was Peter? Father, we just bless Peter. And I just thank you, God, for your hand being on him. I thank you for... Um, your, your spirit being with him and, and just, um, is this your family on this row right here with you? Say it again. Wife is that, what's your name? Rachel, and what's the son's name? Cole. Cole. Cole, I, I, just, I, I just saw you like, uh, I saw a picture of you like kicking a soccer ball around or something like that. And I saw you sort of uh, looking at the goal uh, at the end of the field and it was like you took a couple of shots, but it, the ball had missed the goal, and you were really frustrated. But then I saw you step back and kind of relax and then do it again, and I saw you just hitting the goal over and over and over and over again. And I just hear the Lord just saying that he's going he's gonna to give you an ability to sort of see where things need to go and to know the place of where they, they need to go, Cole. And that God is really with you in that. Some of the things, even some of the areas of study that have been a little bit challenging for you, I just see all of a sudden those becoming better and more clear and you understanding things more of where you're at. And, and then, was it Rachel? Rachel? Rachel, too, I just saw just uh, some healing coming in your family. 
and just God doing a work of some healing, some, some healing and some relational stuff and things like that, but to even relationship with you and with them, that God's just releasing some of those things on you. But Lord, we just bless this whole family. We just thank you for your hand on them and just pray, Father, just your peace, your presence, your power to rest on them. Uh, just even uh, this weekend, and, and just pray that you be with them in Jesus' name. Does that make sense to you, Rachel? Okay, so Father, we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Sorry, had us, had needed to stop and do that. Um, so uh, let, me, let, me, let me show you, you know, you guys know how much um, the enemy has, has attacked the nation of Afghanistan and how much uh, has happened. I'm telling you what, it was, I know you already know this, but it was an absolute disaster. Uh, the, the plan of the previous administration was actually a good plan for withdrawal, actually one that I made sense to me that would work, and it was just completely thrown out the window because of the source that came up with it. That's what happened. And then all of a sudden, just to see this, you know, so many tens of thousands and millions of people's lives being put at stake in there. But let me tell you something. What the enemy is meant for evil, God is going to turn around. I'm going to tell you something. Unbeknownst to themselves, the Taliban became the largest mission sending agency on the planet. Sending out all these underground church leaders and believers because they're on fire and they're going to share the gospel where they go, wherever they go. They're, going to, they're not going to stop. It's not going to slow them down because there's momentum. And they know, they know where the war is at. They know what the enemy is, is fighting. We went into um, I, immediately when, when things began to happen, it was, uh, it was a, uh, just a disaster, you know, to see. In the, and I began to get, you know, contact, you know, by about 75 people. Uh, from Kandahar to Bamiyan to, uh, to Kabul and just all over, uh, Mazar Sharif, every, all over, you know, people starting to send messages and communicate, you know, the, of what was taking place and fear. And I'll never forget um, on, the, uh, on the phone with uh, one of the leaders that uh, Bill and Joni had, had raised up and with a group of those guys, um, all of a sudden, one of uh, they were all t circling around and talking about how terrible it was, what the Taliban was going to do, what was already being threatened, all of this fear. And I mean, the whole conversation was just having this weightiness. And you're sitting there trying to think, as an American, sitting in my living room in Dallas, you know, uh, Having this conversation, you know, you're like, man, if I, if I try to say anything encouraging, it's going to just sound, you know, like, yeah, you're in the land of the free, the home of the brave. Yeah, great. Thanks. You know, that type of thing. And then all of a sudden, one of the leaders stepped up and he said something in Dari that I, I didn't understand because I don't speak Dari. But he said it, and I remember I stopped and I said, say that again, because as soon as he went to say these words, I felt just the power of the Holy Spirit come all over me. And, and then when he said it, all of the Afghans got very quiet, and they began to drop their heads, and they began, you could see tears begin to start you know, coming down their faces and, and you could see something happen in that moment. And I stopped him and I said, tell me what you just said. And he said the words, he said, Isa Shahi Shahan. And I was like, 
what does that mean? And he said, Jesus is king of kings. He is king of kings. Now, if that only gets five people in this room to clap, you don't know Jesus as king of kings. Because let me tell you something. He said, he followed it with this. He goes, let me, he goes, let me tell you. He goes, your man sitting in that white building is not king of kings. He said, the Taliban now having taken over Kabul, they are not king of kings. And he said, the Ayatollahs in Iran, they are not king of kings, but who we serve is enthroned on heaven and, is, and the earth is his footstool. And he, Jesus alone, is king of kings. And man, something broke in the spirit and you could feel this fear, this fear of death just break in that moment. Now we hear king of kings and we become inoculated to the power of those words. That's why I said to you what I just said. Because we've become inoculated to the power because we hear it over and over and it just becomes cliche. It becomes a statement. But let me tell you something. There is power in knowing that. There is power in knowing that. And knowing that he rules and he reigns on high. We've been able to so far rescue and get out uh, over 335 Afghans and are taking care of them in neighboring countries, housing them, feeding them. Uh, taking care of, of different groups, and, and, and it's been incredible. I'm telling you, the underground churches in those other nations, how they have stepped up has blown my mind. And man, they're, they're, they, they're so poor, and yet they're sharing their food, they're sharing their housing, they're sharing their clothing. We've rented a bunch of houses and, and, you know, and, and bought food for them and you know, different things like that. But in some of the places we've had to rely on and, you know, watching the underground church in Iran step up and take to taking care of these Afghan you know, uh, Christians. It's just been mind-blowing to see it happen in Pakistan where they're even more poor than they are in Iran. Has just been, I mean, it has been breathtaking. It's been incredible to see how they have, and it's been incredible how that people here in the United States have stepped up and contributed to it. I mean, I have been blown away by how people have stopped and, and made it and said, you know, because Paul says, he goes, you're, you're, to, you're to treat these as if they're your very own family. Those who are being persecuted, who are going through that, treat them as if they're your very own family and take care of them. So anyway, we've got a, a little video we're gonna show here uh, that shows what sort of in a minute and 40 seconds what our plan is to do. And then I'll share with you more as we go on through the weekend. But let's go ahead and play that so you can see that now. Imagine you're in your home in Afghanistan when all of a sudden you find out that the Taliban has come in and completely taken over the nation. And within a few hours, they're on your doorstep, throwing you out of your home, sending all of your family out into the street with nothing but the clothes on your back. Imagine trying to find treacherous terrain to cross over on paths that would lead you to a free nation, or at least that would give you some sense of freedom. 
and having to cross it out with young, small babies in tow and not knowing where you were going and not knowing where you're going to end up. This is what happened to our brothers and sisters in the underground church in Afghanistan, the second fastest growing church in the world. This was Satan's plot to completely undermine what God was doing with the church of Jesus Christ in Afghanistan, but it cannot be stopped. Getting them out of the country was only the beginning. This is our opportunity to raise them up, equip them, and to send them back to retake the land that Satan stole from them, where I can promise you this, they will not stop sharing the gospel. They've known too much to lay it down. It's now our opportunity to rise up and to support them, stand with them, to rally behind and to be the hands and feet of Jesus on their behalf. I wanna encourage you, join us in this endeavor. International Life Corps is our, is our um, 501c3 for um, the Middle East and planting schools there and the work that we're doing there. And I tell you, it's some exciting things are happening. I was in, uh, I was in Armenia. Uh, Yuri called me when I was there, and we were talking with the government and trying to negotiate uh, bringing over 30 Afghans into Armenia. And basically, this is where you're going with your hat in your hand, and nobody wants Afghans. You know what I mean? Nobody wants them. And you're walking in and you're pleading and going, look, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of them, we'll house them, we'll feed them, we'll, we'll do everything. Your government's not going to have to do anything, you know, on their behalf. Just, just let us bring them in, you know, so that we can start working with training them and bring them in with some of the Iranians, you know, uh, because they speak a, a, you know, a similar language between the two. And so that we can train them and raise them up. And... Um, and man, it was it was it was a week long of just one sort of you know crash and burn meeting after another where they were like nope 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 don't want them don't want them don't want them, and uh, and so I, I remember going back to the hotel and I was just like Lord, yeah I can't do this I, I you know I, I I'm a pretty persuasive person as an evangelist, but uh, I'm I'm not getting anywhere, you know with this. And the Lord just spoke to me and he said, he says, look, he said, just, just stay where you're at and keep working with what door is open and, the, and be persistent in that and then watch me move and watch me work. And I tell you what, that has been the most incredible thing because God is actually working a plan. We think we got to come up with one and he's already got one. And it's so much easier when you're working God's plan. You know, when, you, when you're working, you know, your own and, and coming up, you know, with your own in that. And uh, just uh, a few weeks ago being in Pakistan and all of a sudden we got into a situation where the government was, was on to what I was trying to do. And, and I started being followed and they started tracking my phone. They started tracking. Matter of fact, I had to delete several apps that were in my phone because all of a sudden we were hearing back from other people. Uh, the government there was calling people that I had just been to and they said, you had this exchange in the conversation and we were like, oh my goodness, that was only over our phones. That wasn't in a, that wasn't in a verbal dialogue. And uh, it ended up being to where I ended up having to leave the country, you know, uh, early uh, because they were like, you're, you're, you're being tracked, you're being followed. And, and we finally ended up, and I remember looking at two of the guys that were with me in Islamabad 
and um, we were there petitioning uh, for the government to uh, to to bring in a particular group and to help uh, you know house them and help you know take care of them and that that we would pay for it but just let them in you know that kind of thing and um, and all of a sudden. In the midst of this, I, I came down uh, to the hotel that I was staying at in Islamabad, and there was a letter waiting for me, and it was death threats, you know, uh, that had come that was on the hotel stationery and on this. And I went back to the guys, and they started saying, well, we, we started, we wanted to warn you about this because, you know, what, what you're doing and what the difficulty is is when you're taking people that are claiming to now to be Christians but all have Muslim names, that means they're converts, and they don't want that, you know. And so even in Pakistan, a lot of people forget because we see a lot of the different crusades that are happening there. They think Pakistan is completely open. They'll kill you in Pakistan too. Pakistan is the second most dangerous country in the world, you know. And so all of a sudden, with all of this pressing in and, and everything happened, I remember I looked at the two guys and I said, I'm telling you now, leave me here. Abandon me here. Go. I'll find my own way back. I'll get a taxi or something. But you should not be seen with me. You shouldn't be anywhere around me. Like this is too dangerous for you. And and because one of the threats was we'll we'll kill you and the two people that are with you. And these were you know Pakistani leaders, uh, believers that were there. And all of a sudden I, I I went back to them both and I said please. You know, just just leave, get out now, just leave me here. I'll figure my own way back. I'll get back to the airport on my own in Lahore and, and fly out on my own. And one of the guys looked at me and he said something that just took my breath away. He looked at me and he said, for such a time as this. And I was like, Whew. because I knew what he meant. He meant God has set it up. This is the time that God is setting up and we're moving with God on this. This isn't, we're not gonna yield to the fear tactics and the threats of the enemy, but this is something that we're gonna see Haman hanged on the gallows that were meant for Mordecai. And, uh, and I looked at him and I said, bro, I love you. I'm touched, I'm moved, but now let's go talk to your wife. Let's see what she has to say. And so he had brought her along on the trip. I don't know why, because this was a crazy trip. Uh, but we went uh, back to the room where they were at, and I sat down with her, and I told her all the same things, showed her the letter, and I said, I'm telling your husband right now, get out and leave me now. And she looks at me, and she goes, and I thought, this, this woman, she's a doctor, she's sharp, she's smart. I said, she's gonna talk some sense into him, this will be great. And she just turned and she looked at me, and she goes, do you not think we know what warfare looks like? And I said, well, I'm starting to realize just by you saying that, that you really do know. And she looks at me and she goes, this is an Esther moment. And he had just said, for such a time as this. And I, she, goes, she goes, if we lose our lives doing this for the sake of the kingdom, then so be it. And then when we went back in the next day to meet with this person, you know, it was, it was incredible uh, because, you know, the, the guy looks at, at, at this list that we have of names and all this, and he goes, he goes so he goes, you know, meeting you is kind of like meeting Oscar Schindler. And I was like, I haven't thought about that. <laughs> and he goes, well, that's what we're trying to do is, is save these lives. And I mean, these, you know, this particular person, he was a devout Muslim man. 
But I'm telling you something, what God is working behind the scenes. Always realize we may make our plans, but God is working his plan. And staying with that and watching God show up is so incredible. And I want to talk to you about that, if I could, with explaining to you a plan that, that God has had, even from the very beginning, and looking at what we're dealing with and what we're up against. And um, in Genesis 2, uh, verse 7, and then skipping from 15 to 18, I want to take a look here at, 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 at the beginning, and what we're going what we're, we're to take a look into tonight and hopefully tomorrow night is understanding the plan that God has had and the plan that he is working and what is taking place, and to, to realize there's a there's a storyline here, but understanding who Christ is and what he's come to do and what he's come to reinstate. And it says in verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and he became a living person. Now this is God getting up close and personal. This is God being very intimate in this part of creation. And in verse 15, it says, And the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree of the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you, sh- you, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone, but I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now listen. God here in this point in this time, he's being very intimate and where we see him, this is not him being Jehovah. This is not him, you know, being in this place, but this is where he is Elohim Adonai. This is up close, intimate, personal God. This is him being face to face in a place of intimacy, intimate connection. This is where he is Yahweh. And Yahweh is, the, 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 even the name Yahweh is to breathe in and to breathe out. And so as God is breathing into man, he is releasing his breath and he's releasing his name. And he's releasing into man, therefore, a different identity. We see him making the animals. We see him creating all of creation. None of that is he, we see him as Yahweh. We don't see intimate connection until he's making humanity. And here you see, and you can picture God Almighty, you know, putting even, you can imagine him putting his mouth on the mouth of this pile of dirt, you know, that he had just formed and releasing his breath and releasing life into him and releasing him to become a, a, an, a, an identity that is related to his identity. This is, this is so different, again, from the animals and everything else, but God is instilling in human beings, and this is why we are in the image and likeness of God, that even his very own breath was released to us and, and, and put in us an identity, put an identity in us and putting his name in us by speaking that. It's a very powerful thing. They, we see that Adam and Eve had everything provided for them. This is a place of immense provision. They're in this beautiful garden. There's a place, and can you imagine, I mean, the garden would be a place of nonstop intimacy. You know, you had this, you had this divine connection with the Father. You had this place of intimate connection with him. I mean, this would be such a beautiful place to be. And then to where there's food provision, there's everything that you need. You're just, you're just basking in God as your provider. 
I mean, how, how nice does that sound to, to, for us today? I'd like some of that, you know what I mean? To where we're not having to strive and work in this. But all of a sudden, God warns him and he says, we can eat of all the trees, there's only one tree. And I'm just telling you, just leave it alone. Just don't, you, you just don't. And you could almost imagine this. When I look at this, I know this sounds a little bit odd to say, but it's almost like, it's almost like tithe. It's almost like, you know, taking 10% of your income. This just belongs to God. It's not for me. It's just there. It belongs to him. It's not even mine from the beginning. It belongs to him, you know, from the beginning. But giving, you know, that 10%. Here he's just saying, you don't have to give it, just leave it. You don't have to release it or do anything, just leave it alone. And so in, a, in this place of being the, the tree of knowledge of, of good and evil, you know, this, this thing that, that the enemy is always going to try to tempt us with the knowledge of that. Now listen to this. In, in verse 3, 1 through 7, it says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat from the fruit of any of the trees of the garden? Now, Satan is always coming at us with a distortion. He's always coming to do what? To challenge the word of God. To challenge the word of God. You know, to stop and to give, you know, a, a, a justification of sin or whatever. To stop and to challenge, to, to challenge what God's speaking, to challenge, and to get us to question it, to get us to doubt it. Did God really say? And of course, there's a distortion in the message because he's saying, did God say that you can't eat of any of the trees of the garden? Is that what God said? Not at all. God said you can eat of all of them. There's just one. Just leave it alone. Just leave it, leave it be. Don't, 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 don't come to it. Don't. But the enemy is constantly challenging the word of God. And we understand, you know, because Christ is the word of God. And it's a challenge of Jesus and his identity and his being the second person in the Godhead. There's this challenge of that. Now, Eve is smart enough to correct him. And she says, of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit of the tree in the middle of a garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, this is the only time that death is being brought up in the garden. God doesn't look at him and say, hey, by the way, after a thousand years, you're going to die. You know, and we know because, you know, Adam lived, what, 923 years, I think it was. And so he says, he's like, he's, he, he comes and he says, you know, where uh, she says, even if you look at it or touch it, you're, you're going to die. And she, Satan comes back in verse 4 and said, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that, the, that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God knowing both good and evil. Now, this is interesting because Satan is always trying to come at us and trying to get us to logically, you know, approach things, to approach things from a place of our own logic and our own, well, this has got to be reasonable, this has got to be, this has got to fit, and the, the you know, Greek word in that is logismos, and, you know, to approach things from the place of logic. And all of a sudden, he's saying, listen, don't, don't deny, but the, 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 the pursuit of knowledge of good and evil, the pursuit of knowledge versus what God's, see the tree of, the tree of, 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 of death, the tree of knowledge of good and evil was a pursuit to receive knowledge, whereas the tree of life was a pursuit to receive relationship. They didn't have to earn anything or do anything. Why? Because they were in relationship. Relationship gave them that free access. 
And that place of intimacy, that place of relationships gives us free access. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to deserve it because we can't anyway. Amen? You know, we can't earn what Jesus did at the cross. It's something that he gives freely. And he says, uh, and so he says, you won't die. He, again, he's disputing the word of God. He's challenging the word of God. And Satan is always coming to do this. He's always coming to minister unbelief. What Satan is always coming to do with us, and remember, unbelief is not just a lack of faith. Unbelief is sin. Unbelief is a sin. And to move in a posture of unbelief is to be in a place of sin. And so it's not just, I mean, just not being sure about something, you know, uh, and not being sure of the outcome isn't a lack of faith. When I was in, in Afghanistan in, in January, I, I got arrested and I, got, I was held for almost, uh, I think it was 40 hours and, and in, in, a, in multiple um, type of situation was being brought in for questioning and, and interrogation. And I mean, man, it was like they were putting me in this metal box that was freezing cold. And I was like, man, I'm going to die here. You know, and it was, it was like one of those things that would be easy if I died to go, oops, we didn't know we left him in that long type of thing. You know, um, but it was, it was in the, it was in the tub. And the, I was sitting there going, I don't know if I'm getting out. You know, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure I'm going to make it out. That's not a place of unbelief. That's going, I don't know the outcome. But the whole time sitting there going, but what I do know is God. And I know being here and being where I'm at, I'm in a place of relationship I'm a, that if I, if, I, if, they, if I die right now, I'm on a nonstop flight to paradise. You know what I mean? I'm on a nonstop flight. There is no, and, and trust me, when you fly as much as I do, you want a nonstop flight. That's the quickest way in and the quickest way out. But all of a sudden recognizing that and, and to realize that being in that place of going, I'm not sure because when you take a look at, at, at you know, Mary, when uh, Gabriel comes to her and tells her that you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to become pregnant, you're going to bring forth the Messiah, she doesn't say that's impossible. Zechariah really said that, and that was a place of unbelief. He was in a posture of unbelief. That's not possible. Mary was like, I don't understand how can this happen because I've never had sex with a man. That doesn't make sense to me. How is that going to work? Because this is not, this, this hasn't happened. So how will that? you know, take place. It was more of a place of understanding. And, and anyway, being in that posture, being in that place, the enemy comes and he tries to get you to move into a place of unbelief. Now, the place where that comes in and when I'm sitting there in this cold, freezing shipping container, you know, going, I'm not sure I'm going to make it out is, has God abandoned me? Has God left me? Now, that is unbelief. And having to take those thoughts captive and make them yield to the will of God and say, that's a lie. Because I know I'm here for him. I'm your man. I'm your person. I'm here on your behalf. This was not a luxury vacation for me. You know, this was a place of, of doing your bidding, your business. And, your, and so turning it around and, and capturing that, Eve's not doing that in this moment. She's listening, she's working, and all of a sudden, even as she's hearing and, and receiving this, she's actually already eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Does that make sense? Because she's eating of the unbelief that Satan is coming to uh, propagate. So it says, the woman was convinced of, you know, of his words, and she saw the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom 
that it would give her. How many of you know it doesn't give wisdom? That only comes from God. Wisdom comes from the Lord, that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit, she ate it, and she gave, it the, she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And so at that point, now let me tell you something. We give Eve a lot of grief in this. I'm going to take my jacket off a little bit. A little bit warm for me. Um, we, we give Eve a lot of grief in this, but Adam could have stopped the process the entire time. I believe that. You may disagree. I got the microphone. I can say what I think. You got to figure out if I'm right or not. Be Bereans. You know, search the scriptures, see if this is true. <laughs> Don't just accept it. You know, dig into it. But, you know, all, all the, Adam could have stopped it. Because the scripture doesn't say their eyes were open when Eve ate it. It wasn't until Adam ate it that it says both of their eyes were open. Why? Because they were one. They were one. But in this place of going, no, I'm not going to participate with that. I'm not going to be. He could have stopped the process. I really believe that. And again, we give, we give Eve a lot of grief in this, but I believe, I believe there, was, there was a responsibility that, that Adam forfeited here in this moment. And what we, what we see is, is that she gave some to her husband that was with her and he ate it too. The attraction to knowledge is, is, is self-advance. She's wanting to I, want to, I want the wisdom that it gives. I want the knowledge that it gives because why? It'll, it'll make me be like God. Now, how many of we know that doesn't make you to be like God? Because they don't become like God. And actually what Satan is offering is a complete deception. Why? They already were like God. God had already made Adam and Eve to be in what? In his likeness. They already were like God. They already were in that place. So what Satan is offering is nothing. But they fell for it. They fell for the deception. And therefore, they came under. Something happened in that point in time. The enemy is always trying to convince us God is withholding from us. He's always trying to convince us that he's, he's favoring somebody else and not you. He's favoring them over there. They got, they got a, a better house or they got better stuff or their car's better or they got a better marriage or they got better kids or they got, you know, as if we didn't have a hand in how our kids turned out. You know, they, they got a better this, they got a better that, whatever. The enemy's always trying to get us into a place of comparisons and a big part of that is to get us to doubt and to question God's provision for us. Don't fall for that. Immediately, when they partook of this fruit. When Adam also partook of this fruit, immediately there was a power transfer. All the power and authority that they had to rule the earth under the lordship of the father was handed over to the enemy and the rulers became subjects and the subject became the ruler. This is the reason why 2 Corinthians chapter 4 refers to Satan as the god of this world. He, that was supposed to be us. We were supposed to be the rulers on this planet. We were supposed to be under the lordship of the Father. We were supposed to be ruling. But we empowered the enemy. The rulers, the rulers became subjects, and the subject became the ruler. So, did God create, you know, Satan to be in the, in the, the, the power and having the rule over the earth? Did he create him to do that? The answer is no. He created us to do that. Satan has been empowered not by God to be in the position he is. He's been empowered by us. 
And I'll, sh- I'll share more about that tomorrow uh, from a different scripture and a different perspective. But immediately there was a power transfer that happened. Now listen to this. At that moment, their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? That sounds freeing, but it's not. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt wisdom. They suddenly got smarter, sharper. Certainly had an advance. No. All of a sudden, they felt shame. Shame came rushing in. How many of you know shame controls, when shame controls you, it just bullies you to your very end? Shame will cause people to commit suicide. Shame will cause people to do all kinds of things. Shame is a very powerful weapon of the enemy. And the Lord wants to break the power of shame off of us. We're not supposed to be living under the tyranny of shame. Shame is a cruel master. And it will totally make you feel less and totally make you... Let me tell you something. This is the reason why that we're, our, our boasting isn't in our ability or even our identity or our position, but in Christ who has given that identity to us. It's that empowerment. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves in verse 7. And in the cool evening breezes started blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden, and so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called out to the man, Adam, where are you? God had never had to do that before. I can imagine sort of the picture of them coming into, of God coming into the garden in these, you know, what it seems, it looks like to be the cool of the day, which could be the morning or the evening, we're not sure, or maybe both times. But he would come in and you could just, I could just imagine, you know, these like, like little children running to their father, just them running, the father's here, the father, I mean, just the excitement, the enthusiasm to be in the presence of the father. And then all of a sudden he comes in one day and they're nowhere to be found. They've moved away from their position. They've moved out from under their place of identity. They've moved out from under that. And all of a sudden it says, so they hid from the Lord God among, the Lord called out, Adam, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree? Have you ever noticed that when God asks a question, it's not because he needs information? Have you ever noticed that? God never asks a question because he needs info from us. God asks a question because he wants us to come to a place, not for him to come to a place. He's trying to get us into a posture or into a position. It's not him needing, you know, to get, get information from us to make a decision. It's, it's never, whenever God asks me a question, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> You've got an objective. You've got a place you're taking me to. Whereas just... Just whatever, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, what you see of Ezekiel in Ezekiel uh, 37. You know, thou knowest, Lord. You know, I don't even, can these bones live? You only know the answer to that. I don't even know. You know, that's many times some of my answers and some of those things. But all of a sudden, they're in this place of hiding. God's not asking the question because he needs the information. He knows what's happened. But he says, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Have you eaten from that tree? Now, let me tell you something. Shame leads to hiding, and hiding leads to blame. Whenever we get into the place where we have shame, all of a sudden it makes us want to hide, and hiding wants to point the finger, well, it's because they did it. 
It's because that this happened, because that happened. My, my sister, I have a sister, my middle sister, her name is Ella. And uh, she was always, uh, her, her cousin, my cousin too, uh, is, was named Angela. And then we called her Angie. And uh, for, for a week and a half, we, our families were together, uh, sort of living in close proximity together. And uh, my sister was constantly, every time something would happen, my mom was like, who did this? And she's like, Angie did it. Angie did it. Angie did it. Well, the problem is three weeks later, she was still saying Angie did it. And Angie had been gone for a week and a half. You know, and what happens is, is that whenever shame comes in, it leads to them, 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 pointing the finger and pointing elsewhere. And so now the scripture doesn't say what type of animal that God took, but God all of a sudden, now listen to this. God all of a sudden realized that this place of shame meant a place of lack of identity. It meant a loss of identity. They were in a place which God didn't make, God made them to be secure in who he created them to be. But all of a sudden coming out from under the identity that God had given brought them into a place where they were in shame, they were in lack, they felt removed, it was displacement. All of these things were happening, you know, and so all of a sudden God, because they're, you know, they're covering themselves with these fig leaves and fig leaves can be pretty good, but they don't, they're not going to last long. And so all of a sudden, God kills an animal. Now imagine this, this beautiful, creative God who made this planet, driving from the airport in Cleveland to here. Uh, Jacob and I were just, you know, talking. I I don't think he had been in this part of the country yet, uh, or or maybe you have, I don't know, but I don't think so. And he was just talking, look at all these fields. Look at all this, Arkansas is where you're from. And I guess they don't have that many cornfields in Arkansas. And driving through, look at all, you know, he had to dodge a deer coming back to pick me up, you know, because one jumped out at him. Man, you guys must have easy hunting around here. That's all I have to say. But all of a sudden, you know, seeing, just seeing the beauty of the area, you're used to it, so you don't, so you don't see it as much as beautiful, but it's beautiful. It's a beautiful place to be. It's a beautiful place to, to be at. And seeing the beauty of that, of that creation you know, it's, it's so nice and it's so wonderful, but let me, let me take you into a, into a picture of, of if you're going in, back into the place, into the garden, and none of, none of this would be as beautiful as that, right? Would we agree to that? But all of a sudden, imagine walking in right after that had happened. Now, when an animal has been killed and you take the skin off of it, is it easy to recognize what it is? I could see a medium-sized deer that's been killed and, 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 you know, skinned, and I would have a struggle figuring out if it's a dog or a goat, you know? I mean, that, that's just because without its skin, why? Because the exterior gives a lot about its identity. Well, all of a sudden, this, this animal has been skinned. So imagine you're walking with God into the garden after this scene had just happened, and you walk in and you look over and you see this carcass laying over on the ground without any skin on it and blood all over it. And you say to God, hey God, what's that? And he goes, oh, that's Adam and Eve. But let's say the animal that was killed only because it would fit with the narrative of scripture was a lamb or was it a sheep. And then you look over and you see this man and this woman sort of hiding under or covering over you know, their nakedness with this fleece. 
that they have that had just been taken from this. And, he, and you look and you say, and they're, they're over in the corner sort of shaking, not knowing what's next in their lives, not knowing what's happening. You go, oh God, well, what is that? And he goes, oh, that's my lamb. That's my lamb. Because he gave that to cover. He gave that identity to cover their loss of identity. And when you have an animal that doesn't, you don't see the skin on it, you don't know what it is. But God is sitting there and he's giving them this new identity. He sees the death of the animal, and that's where we understand the first sacrifice. He sees the death of this animal as, as that place of atonement, that place of covering. It's not really the fully place of atonement because we don't have that you know, come into the picture quite yet in the narrative of the scripture, but there's this place of covering. God has covered us in our lack. He has covered us. Does this make sense? Is this helpful? Am I losing you? No? Two of you shaking your head. I'm, you're with me, so I'm taking them as the representatives of the whole. But all of a sudden, the Lord, in Genesis 21, it says, and the Lord God made clothing from the animal skin and Adam and his wife, and all of a sudden, they're in this place, and he's stopping and he's identifying, that's the covering, that's the new identity that I'm giving them in this place where they were in their sin, where they were in this place of life. Now, Genesis 2, 24, it says this, after sending them out, the Lord stationed a mighty cherubim uh, at the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, this is so important because that tree of life was so significant. And there's this dialogue that God has, and he says, listen, we cannot permit them to take, to partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the approach to get there on your own, bypassing relationship." That approach, and, and that is really an embrace of the law, and embracing, because the law now comes into picture, because relationship wasn't. Grace has been removed because we rejected it, and put ourselves under the place of now having to get there on our own. So whenever we try to intellectually grasp something, or intellectually get there on our own, we are stopping and we're making that approach based on our efforts versus God's provision. Does that make sense? And God wants us to be in that place of relationship. But they're banished from this beautiful garden. They're banished from this place. And there's this flaming sword there blocking the way because they cannot partake of both. And I believe that that is still true today. You cannot partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. It's one or the other. Because one is your reaching out to get there on your own. And the other is God's provision for doing that. After sending them out, the Lord stations this, um, this angel there to guard the way uh, from the tree of life. Exodus 37, uh, 69. I'll take a look at this. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, after this passage, I'm going to wrap up with a few thoughts. And then we're going to make a, make a transition uh, in, into some other parts. And this, again, this tonight is laying the foundation for where we're going uh, for tomorrow night. Try not to mess it. Otherwise, you're going to be just coming out of here going... What was that? Because it's setting you up for what's coming next. And then it says in Exodus 37, 6 through 9, it says, then he made the ark's cover, the place of atonement. So this is the actual place and the sacrifice of atonement. And that, that, that cover of the ark was made of what? Pure gold. Why? Because God's presence only deserves purity. 
God's presence deserves that place. And he, now thank God Christ has given us his and he makes a way for us to cover and to atone. That's the whole point of atonement. And he gives that pure gold. Verse seven, he made two cherubim. Now notice in the garden, there's this huge you know, flaming sword you know, uh, cherubim that is guarding the way. And then now there are two cherubims covering you know, this, this seat of atonement hammered from pure gold and placed them on the two ends of the atonement cover. Verse nine, the cherubim faced each other and they looked down in the atonement cover and their wings spread uh, above it and they protected it. They were protecting the place of, the, of, of atonement. They were protecting the place of where the presence of God dwelt. Now what would happen is every year the high priest would come in and he would bring a, 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 a sacrifice. He would bring a, a work of atonement and he would have, he would go in and he would be in his full high priestly garments and he would step into the, to the holy of holies only once a year because it was so holy and his hands were filled with what? Blood. The blood of what? A pure spotless lamb. And he's walking in, and can you imagine? He can't spill it, he can't drop it, he can't stumble. He has a rope around his waist with bells on the bottom of his garment. You know, and, and he has, and I can imagine it would be a little different because he has this ephod that's here that has all these stones all on it, representing the 12 tribes. I mean, I would imagine this would be a bit of a cumbersome sort of thing to do with this, you know, this hat that's, I mean, all of this stuff is so significant and so everything has, has purpose and meaning to it. But he's walking in going, don't drop, this blood is too precious because this act of atonement is to cover the sins of the entire nation. I mean, this is a powerful picture. And they have the rope around his waist because if, if he stumbles, if he falls, or if his sins are too great, or, or it's not enough because the people's sins are too great, he could be struck dead and they're having to pull his body out. Can you imagine that scene? You see, we don't have to go through any of that right now. You're not tying a rope around Yuri, you know, to walk in. You're not, you're not, having, to do, you're not having to do that. You know, thank God, you know, because this is a work that Christ has done. But you're, they're walking in and they're pouring this, this blood on this, in the seat of atonement to atone for the sins of the entire nation. Now, let me tell you something. This is something that the Lord has, has, was doing for us. All of this is speaking of what is to come and laying the foundation of what is to come. This is to lay the foundation for our healing this is to lay the foundation for the forgiveness of sin. This is to lay the foundation of, of us being able to forgive when we couldn't forgive. I mean, all this was being done. All this, and, and the people would listen intently for the bells. Because if they stop, you know, was it enough? Or was the sins of the priest too high? Or was, it, or was there a mistake that was made, a stumble that happened, or something like that? There was this listening for the bells. This was an intense moment, an intense place. And let me tell you something. This is a place that I believe right now that this, this is a picture of a place that we're in in coming before the Lord and in a place of coming into. Now we have it as a place of relationship. You see, all this has now been done away with because you have free access. You don't have to come in with a blood sacrifice. You don't have to bring an animal. 
I remember sitting down with, uh, with a, a, I went to a, a synagogue and I asked uh, a, a, a rabbi there, I said, I, I, I want, I'm curious why you don't sacrifice anymore. Just why, why, why don't, why isn't there, you know, it's, 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 it's all through the Old Testament. Why aren't you doing sacrifices anymore? And he goes, well, that's a silly question. And I was like, how so? And I'm like, you know, by this I'm going, are you messianic? You know, do you know of Christ and what he's done? And he goes, well, you, you can't do that today. You can't, you know, you can't kill an animal like that. That would be cruel. That would be that. I'm like, was it any less cruel back then as it is today? And, any? and he's like, he finally looks at me and he goes, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. I said, when did it stop? And he goes, I, 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 historically, I don't know. And he was sitting there, he was struggling with it. And he's like, I, I'm not quite sure. And, it's so, and I sat there and I thought, wow, nobody has come in and asked this question or proposed this question in that moment. And of course, we know it was, it, was done, it was done and completed because of what Christ had done and what Christ had completed. That's a work we don't have to do. That's an effort we don't have to make, but we can freely accept it and receive it. Why? Because we're in the place of that relationship. We have free access we have free access to the presence of God, free access to, to be in the presence of the Father, to see his healing power to be released, to extend his presence outside and to, to release that power and that presence to so many people. I was, I was, I was blown away. Uh, we, we had uh, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Lance Walnow's daughter's name is Joy. Uh, if you don't know who Lance is, he's, he's, he's a, an amazing guy, an incredible guy. Every time I sit and talk to Lance, I come away going, I both feel smarter and dumber at the same time. You know what I mean? You just sit and talk to Lance and you're like, I feel smarter, but then also I feel really stupid also on the other side of it. You know what I mean? And so, uh, you know, Joy is this, you know, his youngest daughter is this young millennial. And so she texts me the other day and she goes, she goes, you know, one of uh, there, there's a, a, a new startup social media company that's, that's starting in the Dallas area. And uh, she's working for this particular company. And she goes, you know, one of our staff got struck by lightning and he's completely unresponsive. He's in the hospital. And she goes, you know, Robbie, I just had this sense that if you'd pray for him, that, that you know, that something would happen. That something, and I don't know, you know. And, and I said, well, you know, I can't get to the hospital right now. I said, I'd love to. But I said, listen, I'm just going to pray right now. And we're going to, you know, believe, you know, for a complete, you know, turnaround and change. And so I just said, you know, and so I'm praying right now. Prayed in that moment. I was like, you know, I bind that foul spirit of death. And I break the, the hold going over that young man's life. His young man, you know, Joy, I think is 23 or something like that. And this, this young man was, I think, 26, 27. And so I was praying and I was like, these, these, these young people have their whole lives ahead of them. This isn't right. This is the enemy trying to steal. And I just started rebuking the devourer, rebuking, you know, the spirit of death, you know, off of this young man. And, and just, and only did it for, I don't want to make it sound like hours. It was probably a minute and a half. You know, but speaking with authority, speaking the release of this authority. And then all of a sudden, she texts me back like five minutes later, and she goes, he just opened his eyes. He's completely, you know, he's completely interacting with us. She goes, he hasn't spoken yet. She goes, will you pray one more time? And I was like, sure, I'll pray a bunch more times, you know. Prayed again, and literally, and then finally, five hours later, I'm like, I haven't heard anything from Joy. I don't know the update. And I text her, I said, oh, I said, what's the update on our buddy? I, 
I couldn't remember his name. I said, what's the update on our buddy? And she goes, oh, Robbie. She goes, I'm so sorry. I forgot to text you. She goes, you know, th three hours ago, this is five hours later. She goes, three hours ago, he walked out of the hospital. No sign of any injury. No sign of anything happening at all. Completely you know, everything was completely done and completely taken care of. And she said they were, they were, they literally were wanting to put him back on her, do another uh, CAT scan to try to find out. But he was like, I feel fine. She goes, so they're, 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 he's coming back in tomorrow for a CAT. Went back in for the CAT scan. All the damage that they saw that was done to the brain and everything had completely disappeared. This is that access comes through that place of relationship. That was a release of the tree of life, the release of resurrection power, the release of that to break the assignment of the spirit of death and to cancel that identity that was trying to completely you know, overcome and take this young man over. You wanna see what that looks like in a supernatural, spiritual perspective where somebody of a different faith gets hit by that? You want to see that? I don't remember if I showed that here before. The problem is I go speak places and I'm always like, I'm hoping I'm not doing a bunch of repeats of what I did last time. Maybe I am, I don't know. But so, bless you. You're, it's, it's, <laughs> but there's, there's, a, there's a, a video back there of a young Hindu girl that I want to show that. Now this is what this, is what this happens from the spiritual side. And this young Hindu girl, this, this uh, pastor in, 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 um, in uh, Kingsville, Texas, a Southern Baptist pastor, gets hit by the Holy Spirit. He's watching a video uh, of me speaking, and, and, and I said to him, uh, are, are, are he, heard, he saw me uh, training this young man and doing some healing, and he goes, he, goes, he, goes, he goes, if that heathen can do it, then I can do it too. Because he was a cessationist, and he didn't believe that healing could happen today. And as soon as he said that, he gets knocked backwards, like three feet, hits a bookshelf, slides down the bookshelf. As soon as his backside hits the floor, he erupts in tongues. And start speaking in tongues. I mean, God is fast-tracking this Southern Baptist, you know, guy. And, and for three days, all he could do is speak in tongues. He couldn't do anything but speak in tongues for three days. And so when he was able to talk again, he calls me and he's like, could you possibly come down? Well... You know, uh, the person who does my booking, she goes, you know, this is a really small church. There are only 75 people. I'm like, they are Southern Baptists. I'm like, if you're worried about the money, I'll pay them to come down there. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll do all the spending on this one, you know. And so we went down there and this young lady who's a young Hindu girl came to warn all of her Hindu buddies to stay away that, you know, that this was not good stuff and then... You can watch what happened. Go ahead and play that. Hey guys, so I have my friend Sanjanya here, and she has an amazing story tonight. Tonight we saw the power of the Holy Spirit fall here at University Baptist Church. And Sanjanya, tell us what happened to you. I'm Sanjanya, as Robbie is telling. And I was an idol worshiper before, but now today I felt the presence of Jesus. And when my friends was asking me to pray only Jesus, I was like, no, please don't tell me that. Because there's a spirit and only one spirit. And we people have given so many names to that spirit. And we call it as Jesus, that, this and all. But now I say and I declare there is only one God that is Jesus. There is only one God. Amen. And I'll never take my word back. I'll follow Jesus a lot. I'll follow Jesus in future. Thank you, Lord. And Thank what you happened so to you? What happened to you tonight? Actually, I came 
I came to the University Baptist Church today in the evening, and I was like, I was not having any single reason to cry. And my people, my friends were telling that if you felt the presence of God, you'll start crying. I was like, no, what they're telling, please. And now today, when he was, Robbie was praying, and I felt the presence of God, and I was awestruck. What is do? What is happening in me? I was like. God, what is this? I was like, so all my legs were, legs, my uh, my legs were become so stiff, and I could not able to walk. And I was like, what? What is this happening? And then I I I I started walking, and I don't know when I started crying, and I surrendered myself to Jesus without knowing. Seriously, I felt Jesus. And now she's given her life to Jesus. No more worshiping idols, right? No, no, and no never, other gods, right? Never. All right. Never. We realize now that Jesus is the way, yes. the truth, and, and the life. And I thank you so much for that. You revealed God to me. Praise thank the you Lord. So much. Thank Praise you the so Lord. Much. This is where a Hindu becomes a passionate follower of Jesus. Awesome. Yes, Praise yes, God. Yes. Praise All right, guys, God. go do the same. I love when she says, I don't know when I started crying. I'm like, probably when you hit the floor. You know, all these little Baptist people, she starts going backwards. They're like, whoa, whoa. And she, bam, hits the floor. She didn't even feel it. She didn't even know she had hit it. It was so incredible. But all of a sudden, man, just this, this it, it's, it's like this picture of identity, of relationship enveloping her. And just inviting her in and pulling her in and inviting her into that place of proximity. God is doing. And God's pursuit of calling everybody into that place of relationship is you and me. We have the great privilege of inviting people into that place. We are the, we are the ambassadors of Christ. As Paul says, drawing everybody, come back to God. Come back into that place of relationship. Come back into that place. They don't even realize what they're away from. As this young she had no theological basis for what was happening to her. And you know what? The Spirit didn't seem to care. Holy Spirit's not going, well, you haven't been through a 101 and a 201 yet, so we're not sure we can take you there. You know what I mean? I mean, but just totally overwhelming and overpowering. And that's because of that coming into that place of relationship. God is wanting to release that through you and I to all those around all of, all of those who are around us.